Welcome to the Sisters of Industry podcast with hosts Laura Brown and Jen Williams, where the goal is to help you work harder, lean smarter, and live life better. Where one bloodline and different industry experiences will provide new insight to make you more effective at work and play. Our mistakes will help all of us laugh and learn. Get ready to lean in, lean out, and possibly snort coffee out your nose as they talk about all things business, leadership, and life. Let's go. I'm Jen, and the public nature of my job means I have an inbox full of feedback every week. I'm Laura, and I'm fine with feedback, as long as it is kind, given to me with a glass of wine, and about somebody else. Is that okay? Feedback welcome. Whether you are giving it or getting it, feedback is a hard thing to handle well. But it is important for our industrial lives, so let's learn to get it right. On today's episode, we are continuing our conversation on conflict. Laura and I have been geared up. We've got elbow pads and knee pads on. Actually, not at all, but it'd be fun if we did. Laura, do you own a set of knee pads? Yes. I I hesitated because I wasn't even sure if I should admit it because I am now going to have to acknowledge that they it is a knee pad and elbow pad set left from when rollerblading was cool in the 90s. Okay, this is amazing and a whole nother thing we're going to have to pursue at some point during Real Talk. I, I didn't know you actually own knee pads. That's amazing. I know. And I'd like to proactively apologize to my friend Melissa Klug, Con Marie specialist, that I still have something from the 90s in my house that I don't use. I'll fix it. <laughs> She's going to need to see that um, giving someone else joy very, very soon. Okay, Absolutely. so we are continuing this conversation on conflict. And today, we're going to focus on a more intentional version of conflict, which is feedback, both the giving it and the receiving it. And sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not, and it's just ongoing. But it, And it doesn't always have to be conflict, but it's intentional space where we're giving people feedback and a lot of times on areas that aren't easy to talk about, areas where we're asking improvement, and also places where we're being asked to improve or change and shift. And handling that well, and this is what we're focusing on in this conflict conversation, handling it well is so very important. So I know for me, um, this is airing here in February, and we're just going to be on the other side of our evaluation season in our office. We do evaluations in January for the previous year. And so in terms of annual evaluations, formal evaluations, we are just on the other side of that. And it's been good, but it, it's never without um, some nerve-wracking sense of what's going on. Laura, how are evaluations handled in your company, in your office? What does that look like? So I've seen it done many ways across different companies. And the way I'm most accustomed to it, like most places, is there's an annual process where you make the point of formally documenting feedback. Um, It can happen quarterly, twice a year, once a year, whatever your company may call for. Um, But I think right away, I just want to dive into the fact that while Those annual processes are necessary, they're required, and they're valuable. 
I really want to make sure today we are diving into feedback with the perspective that feedback should be given in real time so that when you get to these annual review processes, you're summarizing information that has already been received and it should be a um, maybe a formality that's necessary, but not new information sharing. Does that make sense, Jen? That absolutely makes sense. And I can very much say that this year felt really good in that. Um, it hasn't always. Sometimes because we don't and sit down intentionally enough through the year, there's things to talk about at annual review. But I can truly say in our annual reviews this year, I did feel exactly that. In some ways, we even were kind of like, hey, yeah, let's just rush through this and sign it and move on because there wasn't anything in there that we hadn't already talked about or wasn't obvious. And so that's a really, really good point. And I do think we should just stay on that lane and talk about what are some of the kind of guidelines we use when it comes to giving feedback. And so you already let off with the idea that it shouldn't be a once a year thing. Feedback should not be a once a year thing. It should be consistent. It should be ongoing. It should be happening um, in, in the midst of active situations. And so one of the ways I talk about that, and I think I already used the word, is consistent feedback. And I remember years ago hearing someone say it this way, that if you're not in an environment where you're getting consistent feedback, then it's not a healthy environment because it means that nobody's invested in your growth. And so again, to that mentality of if you're only getting annual feedback, and if you're only giving people annual feedback, you're not making a a solid investment in their growth. You are treating it just as a, a box that you have to check once a year versus building a mentality in your office, in your culture, wherever you are working, that we want to get better and we want to get better together. Um, Sorry to go there again. But so we're going to invest in each other's growth and regularly make space for feedback. And so the idea of, of consistent feedback is so important. Consistent is important, and I also want to draw out something else you implied in that statement, which is you said we all, I think, you might have said y'all, um, <laughs> need to participate in this feedback cycle. Feedback is not just manager to employee. Yes. Feedback can come in any direction, and I think that's really important because as we start to talk more about how we give feedback and this consistent feedback – Peer feedback is acceptable when done correctly. Even subordinate to manager feedback is 100% acceptable. Um, And creating a culture where where feedback can go in all directions, I think is also important to that consistency aspect. So it's consistent not only in the fact that it's consistently happening on a timescale, but it's also consistently happening in all directions so that people feel like they have a voice and a forum in which they can provide feedback in a safe way. And I think that's also huge in building a culture where people want to stick around and do more work. Exactly. No, you're so right. And we've, again, I know I've talked about the fact that I work in a smaller office there's only six people on our staff and so it can be tricky but I will offer as an example in this latest round of evaluations we did we wanted to make sure we were providing lots of space for those 360 evaluations that you were just describing and so the way we did it and I know that this won't translate for everybody but the way we did it is I asked our staff 
and everyone on our leadership team. Our leadership team is the volunteer leadership for our church. And then we've got our, our staff members who are paid. And so I asked all of them to complete an evaluation for me. And they sent it to one of the people on our leadership team. Actually, it was John Johnson. Those of you who are podcast listeners, he was on during our feelings because series because he's an HR person in his professional day-to-day life. And so I made him the point person and everybody sent their completed evaluation for me to him. And then he was able to compile the results and then and then share those with me in in an overall sense which was really good because i wanted to create maximum freedom especially for my staff who report directly to me to to be able to share whatever they wanted to share because it was going to get filtered through that and i didn't i wouldn't necessarily have a sense of exactly where those things were coming from so some of it does need to be informal and direct i think we're going to get into that too but i just wanted to share that as an example of how we're trying to be in intentionally 360 in giving and receiving feedback. Which is an excellent way to set that up. I think the other thing that it helps you do is um, it helps you balance your feedback. So I think there's another big principle in giving feedback is that feedback can and should be both positive and negative. So feedback doesn't have to be, this is what you need to do better all the time. Feedback feedback, and actually some of the most powerful feedback can also come in the form of reinforcing really positive behaviors. Bill, I loved the way you led that meeting and were very clear about action items at the conclusion. Letting people know when they did things well in feedback is also an excellent way to keep molding behavior. And I think it plays into the concept of strengths-based leadership. Recognize what people do well and help them build on that and really harness that as part of your feedback process, in addition to pointing out areas where they have opportunity to work and grow. Having said that, I do want to be really clear. Balancing positive and negative feedback does not mean that you should sandwich negative feedback between two positives and let it get lost. Do you follow what I'm talking about there, Jen? Have you heard of the feedback sandwiching? I have. I've absolutely heard of the feedback sandwich. And I think I'm so glad you're going here because I think we need to be adults. We don't always need a sandwich to um, be able to handle what's inside. So keep talking about that, Laura. I think that it's really important that sometimes feedback is constructive criticism and you don't want to hide behind positives and allow that to be lost. Because what is somebody going to remember? They're likely going to remember the big hug you gave them at the end. They may not remember the fact that you gave some very direct and clear feedback on something that needs to improve. And sometimes someone needs to very clearly hear that something needs worked on and that message cannot get mixed or muddled. Otherwise, it leads to confusion. And then when maybe that feedback moves into an actual performance issue, they're confused because they feel like they never heard it before. So I think a caution for managers, especially new managers, as you're getting comfortable providing feedback, is to make sure that you're not always couching that feedback. Be direct be clear, and be willing to own the feedback and be forthright about it. Don't hide it or sandwich it between a lot of good things. Exactly. And and I think it's so good that we're talking about all aspects of this positive and negative because my brain, when uh, when I think about the positive and the negative, goes down the track that 
we often only give feedback in negative situations. Something went wrong and now we're trying to deal with it. Now we're trying to give somebody that kind of feedback. And so in part, we have to be really careful that we're also stopping in the good moments like you talked about a minute ago to say, oh, hey, by the way, this was something that was really good and I want to stop long enough and talk about that so that A, it's something that gets repeated and there's, you know, an acknowledgement of that, which is important. We need to see people honoring our work and we need to take time to honor the work of the people that we're working with. But when it comes to this cumulative feedback process, if we play a game of, oh gosh, did I say as many positive things as negative things, then we're not really getting to the substance of feedback. We've made this whole process of feedback this mitigation of conflict. And we spent an entire episode last week talking about the fact that conflict handled well can move us forward. So let's not dance around it. Let's use it. But that means we also have to do it really well. And one of the things that you also said as you were talking about that is that we have to give examples. And so the other guideline I would offer from a giving feedback stand feedback standpoint is that feedback is so much better when it's specific. When we give people just general senses of, hey, yeah, you know, I think that you could do a better job with XYZ, but we don't tell them there was this one moment where you did it this way and this was an opportunity where you could have done it this way. And when we pull in those really specific examples, we allow people to fully understand what we're saying instead of glossing over it because we just made this quick general statement about, hey, yeah, um, I need you to um, respond to emails more quickly. Jen, that's a really great point. And along the subject line of specific feedback. I want to offer just very quickly a model that I was taught years ago about giving feedback that I help that I believe helps lead you into providing feedback well and in a specific manner. In the model, it lays out that you should provide context, the situation, then describe the behavior, and then also make a point of acknowledging or describing the behavior's impact in this is how I felt phrases so that it's received correctly. But that way you're actually saying, do you remember the time that you talked over everyone in the meeting and created an atmosphere where um, your voice was being heard over others? I noticed that as a result of that behavior, others stopped speaking up in the meeting. And I feel like we may have lost some good ideas in the process. You're being specific about the situation, providing context. You might even say, remember on Tuesday in conference room B, you're talking about the behavior that you that you observed and as you observed it, and you're talking about how it impacted so that that entire equation is laid out in front of the receiver because sometimes persons are receiving feedback about a behavior that they may not be able to see themselves. And you being that specific helps them understand it and be able to take action as opposed to walking away from the conversation going, I don't do that. I don't know what that means. And either being hurt or rejecting the feedback and making no progress as a result of the feedback. Yes. I I love that. I love that. So I'm sorry, Jen, I cut you off. I was just going to say, I'll put more out there on our um, blog in the episode notes about that model, but I wanted to at least mention it quickly because I think that entire concept is really helpful. And the only other thing I'll add for our listeners is when giving feedback, we've talked about being consistent, 
the positive and the negative, being specific, practice giving feedback. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you practice with your spouse, with a friend, maybe you have a colleague that you can step into a room and practice giving feedback to one another and then give each other feedback on the feedback and then feedback on the feedback on the feedback and get into a really bad loop, but it'll be fun. Um, (laughs) Find a place to practice so that you can get better and get um, and allow yourself to grow in the ability to give feedback. This is not natural behavior. It's okay that you are uncomfortable with it. It's even okay that you don't always do it well, but make a commitment to practicing and getting better. That's really important. I'm glad you said that because I will just own the fact that this is an area where I have had to actively work to get better. I think in my early years of leading other people, I was so nervous. And when you walk into someone's evaluation nervous, it does not help them because they're trying to process things you want to tell them. And so when you can walk in with a sense of, I've thought this through, I've I've been intentional with my language because I want to help you understand and not just say things at you, but have a conversation with you, then you create a really good environment. And I would go back just one more time to what we learned from that interview with John Johnson as an HR pro when he talked about things like as the person leading through change or leading through frustration or in any environment where you're giving feedback, your ability to de-escalate, depersonalize just creates a healthier environment for the person you're inviting in to talk about something incredibly personal for them. And so we have to be prepared. Never, ever, ever go to give somebody feedback without having done your homework and and be ready to do that well. So anyway, so those are just a few guidelines on how we give feedback. But in our next segment, we're going to dig in <laughs> to what is perhaps the harder work of receiving feedback and receiving it well and using it well. <laughs> So in today's Real Talk segment, as we talk about this process of giving and receiving feedback, we want to once again take it out of the workplace because we spend a lot of time talking about that and talk about feedback that happens outside of the office, which I think Laura and I would both agree is a lot of times more difficult. At least in our offices, there are some set procedures and parameters and clear lines of organization and who reports to who. But when you go outside, it creates all kinds of banana situations. And so, Laura, what is your best feedback gone awry story from outside of the workplace? I have a good one. I do not even have to think about it. So (laughs) I spent years acting as the commissioner or as the um, leader of a youth basketball league. So youth sports, never any conflict there, right? Um, (laughs) I will never, (laughs) ever, ever forget a Saturday morning where we had a referee that was not doing a particularly good job and a parent who was providing feedback from the sidelines as to how they believe that a referee was doing. It was not a pretty situation. These were elementary age students in a church gym to give the context oh. of what I'm dealing with, right? Yeah. So um, as the game progressed, I had no choice from sitting where I was as commissioner, where I usually kind of saw over the day and kept things coordinated. I had to deal with it. It was going to escalate and become a problem. Others in the gym were starting to notice the issue on this particular court. So at an appropriate break in quarters, I go over 
I approach first the referee and provide some very straightforward feedback about some calls that they are just outright whiffing on. Um, I said, listen, you got to tighten up control of your court. There are two things that you are consistently not seeing. And I told him what they were. And he looked at me and he said, I'm a volunteer. You better start treating me like one. So that was special. Um, And I'm not going to lie. I walked away. I thought they're going to be upset. And I can't deal with it in front of 100 kids and parents in a gymnasium right now. I'm walking away, getting it later. That's a story for another day. Um, the better part was when I walked over to the parent and decided and said, hey, I need to ask that while I agree there are some officiating challenges that I've just addressed happening on your court, I need you to handle it differently as a parent. Allow me to handle it as a commissioner. Please be an encourager to the children, but not a feedback giver to the ref. Please remember that you are at a church and the objectives of our league, et cetera, et cetera, to which this parent decided to tell me where I could stick it. Um, in my leadership of the program very loudly and with very colorful metaphors. So um, that conflict gone awry ended up with one of my um, co-commissioners, who also happened to be a cop, having to remove that parent from the gymnasium. Oh, my goodness. And the gym had to be – like, there was no way people weren't going to notice. So – what I will tell you from that story is I look back now and I kind of laugh and I think really guys over a elementary game where score was not even being kept. So seriously, people chillax already on Saturday morning at your kids' sports. Um, but I also have to tell you, like, what can you learn from that? Fast feedback is not always possible and be ready for people that are not ready to receive it. Oh my gosh, Laura, that's such a great story, but so painful and youth sports Oh, like, oh, right. Man, we all have just these crazy stories of seeing people lose it, um, where we all just need to do better being encouragers of these little people. So, hey, nice job being brave, though. I just want to acknowledge the fact that I would have been very tempted to hide in the corner and not come anywhere close to that court as the commissioner in the middle of that. And you dealt with it head on. So even though it didn't go very well, <laughs> I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm very very impressed that you didn't shy away and you had the difficult conversation. So thanks, man. Real talk. There it is. Thanks, Laura. I am having so much fun talking about feedback. Jen, may I offer you some feedback that also applies to me? <laughs> uh Oh, go for it. We talked a lot in segment one, and we're going to have to get a little bit of a move on for our listeners. (laughs) This is good feedback and not inconsistent with feedback I've heard throughout my life. Sometimes I have too much to say. (laughs) I do too. So let's hold each other mutually accountable to putting that feedback into action. Don't worry, listeners. We'll still say plenty. (laughs) Jen, you you received that feedback beautifully. Well done. Hey, thanks. So we do want to spend this segment talking about how to actually receive feedback. Jen and I are joking around, obviously being very polite. Um, On this episode, we share real talk where receiving a feedback did not go well in an experience that I had. The reality is that as difficult as it is to give feedback, receiving it can be even harder. So Jen, I'm going to ask you to start off with talking to us a little bit. For you, what is the hardest part about receiving feedback? The the hardest part for me is filtering the feedback because there is feedback that I seek 
um, that is really, really helpful. And I can do a pretty good job with some of that. But I get a lot of feedback that I did not go looking for. Um, that I, from people that I may or may not know. Um, one of the crazy parts of my job is that I speak publicly in front of large groups of people every week. And so my email inbox can get interesting sometimes as people send responses and thoughts. And so what's most difficult for me is filtering it, just going through a process of how do I hear it? How do I understand it? How do I give weight to different areas of feedback. And so I guess that really plays into the idea for me of being able to consider the source and adapt accordingly, because I never want to have a knee-jerk reaction of simply rejecting feedback because it didn't come from a direction I was familiar with or that I was looking for. I want to be open in every situation. And I think it's Tim Keller who has said this in a way that stuck with me big time, is that every criticism, every piece of feedback that you get is an opportunity to grow. So you have to be willing to look for the kernel of truth. And sometimes there's a whole lot more than a kernel, but especially in times when it's coming from an unknown direction and and you're in those difficult spots, and especially when it's exceedingly negative, look for the kernel of truth because it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity for, and I'm going to use a, a church language here so just go with me but it's an opportunity for repentance and that 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 does cross circles it just usually gets used in the context of of faith and in that world but um to repent is an opportunity to say i want to be a better human and so anyway that was that was a little bit but the hardest thing for me is going okay i just got this my temptation is to reject it completely i didn't ask for it i don't know this person um, but I need to be able to go, okay, no, is there something there that can be useful and that I can grow from? It's really good advice to, to think about this whole concept of considering the source. And then how do you adapt your feedback once you've received that? I have an example once in my career where I'd undergone a very formal 360 process, um, professionally administered and read, um, et cetera. And in that feedback process, In the open-ended portion of it, someone, whom to this day I don't know who it was, um, essentially wrote that you have to be careful telling Laura things because you can't trust that she won't tell someone else. So essentially called me a gossip. Oh, wow. And I took that to heart because for those of you that do know me, and I think even if you don't know me, you can probably guess by now, I am a vault. People come to me to talk because they know it will stay with me and because they know I will take very seriously what they've said to me, whether it's in terms of helping hold them accountable, finding solutions, praying, whatever the appropriate response is. That's actually my jam. So this was devastating feedback for me. I could have chosen to reject it. Um, In that case, I was very hurt by it to the point of almost shutdown. And it just so happened that... Um, My company had retained an executive coach that was working with me at that point in time, and he taught me the concept of contextualizing feedback and used that as an example in a beautiful way that has blessed me since. And essentially what he told me is, okay, we both know that feedback stated as it is is not fair. You're not a gossip. But what is that person seeing and misinterpreting? that would lead them to make a statement like that. And essentially, he helped me see that the fact that I am very talkative, 
I have a very um, personable attitude. I want to be helpful. Um, I'm very socially engaging. That's just my persona. For somebody that is automatically assumed as a gossipy. If I if she's talking, she's always talking, right? Mm. Um, and they and it was a misinterpretation, but it helped me even through all that to get the feedback that maybe I needed to recognize that I needed to tone it down or in all contexts being that open and friendly is actually not perceived as a good thing, right? It, I was able to get something from that feedback as hurtful as it was initially through the coaching of assess it and find something in it and adapt to it. Um, and that was really powerful. Now, how could that have been more powerful? I think it would have been had I been able to follow up and say, can you give me an example of what makes you think this, right? I would have been able to get even more context from it. But that's probably a very extensive example. But I really want our listeners to take away from this conversation a really good sense of the fact that um, feedback can always be useful. But you have to consider that source and adapt, as we've said. And going to another key principle, listen, do not shut down, and maybe even do not react. Take it in. And then when you don't know what to do with it, find someone to work through it with. That's a really important one. And we talked about this in our conversation last week about conflict, how sometimes when we're in dialogues with people, as people are talking to us, we're already formulating our response. And especially in a place where you're getting feedback, and especially if it's critical, even if it's being done constructive, it's easy for our minds to immediately start to construct the counter argument. It's easy for us to start thinking through and and having that immediate reaction. And so learning and, and working on being people who can truly listen, who in those moments can try and quiet our minds and say, I'm going to lean in because I want to keep working to understand what is being said to me before I react to it. And so I think that's a very, very active and even learned process of slowing down the reaction so that we can truly lean in and listen and try and understand the feedback that's being given. And so we've got you know, two ideas already when it comes to giving feedback, consider the source and adapt, and then make sure that you listen and slow your reaction. And I think the third one you already said as well, Laura, and it's when the situation is appropriate. I know we've talked a couple times already here about anonymous feedback, um, which isn't the most helpful form of feedback. In fact, I do want to take this moment um, to just insert that because I get a fair amount of anonymous feedback. Um, Anonymous feedback is hard to be helpful because you can't do what we're about to follow up on, which is asking for examples. And a lot of times anonymous feedback is given because we want to say something and we're not interested in being understood. We just want to put it out there and say it. And so it's not being given with the intention of helping someone. It's just being hurled at them. And so I do just want to throw that out there is that especially if you have something negative to somebody to say to somebody, put put your name on it. Put your name on it. Give them an opportunity to learn from it. Don't just throw it at them. So sorry, Laura, that was... Is that therapeutic for you? Yeah, that might be personal. So there, there's that one. But back to the subject at hand, um, which is ask for examples whenever you can and in circumstances where you're getting feedback. Um, it's part of the digging in, wanting to grow from it. It's a posture of wanting to learn. Ask for examples. If they're not readily being given, you know, push for that. 
because it's gonna a help the person giving you the feedback to to really get around it but it's gonna help you understand when did I do that or if you're already thinking like you were hey I know I don't do that so how how was that perceived as that and so there's so much opportunity there And I think that plays into another aspect of receiving feedback, which is dealing with follow-up. And follow-up can come in a couple different forms. Follow-up could be asking for additional examples or going back with questions. Maybe as you had time to think about the feedback, you didn't react immediately and you want to go back and ask some follow-up questions to really help make sure you heard it right. Um, I would also reflect for everyone That it's important if you take feedback to heart to remember whom you received it from, when you received it, and use an opportunity sometime later, especially if you've chosen to work on that aspect of the feedback, to follow up with them. How am I doing? Have you noticed that I've made a change here? Um, Any further comments you'd like to offer as you've watched me change. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. One is you might think that you've changed and maybe you haven't or you haven't enough. Um, So you need to keep working on it and it allows you to be realistic with yourself. It also helps you make sure that you've actually adapted the way that was intended from the feedback, right? It gives you that second check on the feedback. Um, And if I may, quite honestly, there is a third one here. And it's that by doing that, you've You've given the feedback giver feedback. So we're back into a loop again, right? But the one of the ways that we can all get better at feedback is continuing to give feedback. And by choosing to react to feedback, you're also helping people know they were heard. They gave the feedback well, well enough that you wanted to make an adjustment or at least take that feedback into consideration. And creating that kind of dialogue Ultimately, going back to the conversation we had last week about conflict, that kind of dialogue builds trust, it builds teamwork, and it builds a more effective organization. Yes. And it, it, oh gosh, that's just so good. It says to everybody around the table, I want to get better. Thank you for your feedback because I want to get better. And so being earnest in how we receive feedback and continuing to grow in that is so huge. Well, one final thought I'd like to offer here and um, is, be- is, is along the lines of something we talked about very early in our conversations on this podcast, and it's the idea of grace. And I think this is an important place to throw this in because we've talked a lot about wanting to receive feedback well. We've also touched on the fact that we don't always get feedback in all the ways that are entirely productive, right? We talked in the first segment about giving feedback well, but those were things that we learned through some trial and error. And so It's important to say as we talk about getting feedback that we've all gotten feedback from not great places or maybe it hasn't been done well. Maybe it's been done publicly and we were shamed instead of approached in an environment where it could be, you know, direct and given to us in a way that we could handle it. And I think there's just a good point to be made here of all across the board, if we're handling conflict well, we have to be ready givers of grace. That sometimes we're getting feedback. It's not always going to be in the most ideal conditions, but we can be people who receive feedback well because we're really, really eager even in those moments that we're being criticized or we're being asked to grow or sharpen to offer grace to the person who's asking it of us, 
even if they're not, you know, saying everything well or approaching us in the best way or even giving us that positive, negative, positive sandwich, we can be grace givers and embody that in how we receive. And I think that's huge because I've run over people before. I'll just be honest about that. I have run over people before in my attempts to help them understand something that I didn't think they were seeing. And I can think of one or two occasions where they could have come back at me big time because I just wasn't saying it well and instead offered me some grace in how I approached them. And it changed everything. Jen, I think that's wonderful advice and a really good place for us to end this segment. For all of our listeners, getting feedback's hard. Be encouraged that you're not the only one who takes things to heart too hard sometimes. Be encouraged that you're not the only one that likes to blow off feedback sometime. But know that we're all struggling with it and that there are ways to handle feedback well. And I would encourage all of you to just write down those quick thoughts. Listen. Consider the source. Ask for examples and follow up. And if you follow that template, receiving feedback is going to be a much better experience in the future. Listeners, it's memory lane time. Jen and I have told you quite a few times at this point that we both did sports as well as musical things um, when we were growing up and all through school. We did basketball, softball, track. We played instruments. Jen was a drum major. We covered a (laughs) lot of ground. Um, And of course, with all of those things came feedback Mm -hmm. from coaches and from teachers. But I got to tell you, Jen, today's memory lane, I'm thinking about feedback that came from mom. Do you know where I'm going with this? I think I do because our mom was never the person like we described in our real talk moment that screamed and created conflict in the stands. But I'm thinking you're going to a place where we could hear our mother in some very specific moments. And so am am I right? Am I heading in the right direction? Picture yourself at the free throw line. (laughs) Yes. In the... In the gymnasium of West York Senior High School. Go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Bow, wow, wow. That's absolutely it, Jen. So for all of our listeners, especially if you enjoy sports, you know that one of the most stressful, um, important moments in any basketball game is performance at the free throw line. I was not the best free throw shooter. I was pretty inconsistent. If I call, recall correctly, Jen was better, but not 100%er either. And... Um, and one of the things that happened to us all the time <laughs> when we would get to basketball games is you'd line up at the free throw line. My deal was that I would spin the ball and dribble it two times and pick it up again. And right at that moment, in the dead silence of the gymnasium, <laughs> as you're getting ready to go into like shot formation, I would always hear mom go, bend, bend your knees. knees. And follow through. She would always, the bend your knees you always got. Sometimes you miss the and follow through. But you would hear mom saying, bend your knees. To this day, anytime I go to take a shot when I'm playing recreationally even, I think about mom telling me to bend my knees when I'm having trouble hitting shots. So today's memory lane moment, feedback from mama during basketball games that resonates today. And if you are still playing hoops, Take it from Jane Brown. You need to bend your knees and follow through to get it to sink. (laughs) Thanks for listening. 
We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. And speaking of feedback, we'd love to have yours. Please contact us on Instagram, Facebook, or via our website. Your feedback about how we are doing and on topics you'd like to hear more from us about will only make these industrious girls get better. Bring it on. Sisters, business, what can go wrong? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Join us weekly as Laura and Jen reflect on their shared upbringing and divergent life experiences to draw out lessons to help us all lead and live meaningful, industrious lives.